so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. I'm sorry, he, he did what? He 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 did. He, it sounded he like you said blessed him with blessed him with. He blessed him. He blessed him. The Lord blessed you. him. Blessed him with. <laughs> All right. Well, bless you. You've been blessed. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello there. And Brent Leatherwood. Howdy, y'all. Hey, guys. It's uh, good to be back for another week of podcasting, and this week is a special week because it's our final week with our uh, summer interns. And so later in the show, we're going to be having uh, four of our interns that were with us in the work we were doing in the Nashville office join us uh, for just kind of some reflections on their time with us at the ERLC. But Lindsay, so that we can get into it, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. Well, 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 wait, 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 wait. I I feel like we should point out, though, that, Josh, you're doing this from the road. So it kind of has that feel of when, uh, like, Lester Holt goes on the road and, and, you know, does NBC News from from a particular location that's not in studio. I mean, I feel like this is a special moment for the RLC podcast. I think that's probably true, Brent. It's good. I'm, I appreciate you bringing that up because um, coming to you, having just passed through the Blue Ridge Mountains and it was, you know, beautiful and amazing. And now I am in the car, in the rain. And so for whatever background noise you might hear, whether that's turn signals or motorcycles or just, you know, rain hitting the roof, uh, apologies for that. But looking forward to being with you guys today. Okay, well, let's get into the content at ERLC.com. First up, you know, we've got some practical articles today, um, as well as some informative articles. But this first article is by a counselor named Carrie Corley, and the title is Five Principles for Relationships in a Contentious Society, Lessons from Counseling Troubled Marriages. So what this counselor did was draw from his um, counseling experience, and he would talk with bickering and resentful families and couples and teach them how to communicate with one another and what it was that they're doing wrong and why they're missing one another so badly. And so he just says, a bickering and resentful family is not much different from a bickering and resentful society. And in fact, the two are probably related. So he uh, he throws out some principles that we could keep in mind as we're having conversations in the midst of this divisive time, especially over social media when it's easier to, to type and not weigh our words than if we were to see somebody face to face. So some examples here, he talks about making the thing, the thing. So the first thing in quotes. So basically he says, sometimes people are arguing and they're talking about two separate things and they don't realize it. And so they end up going round and round and they'll, they'll be defensive. He says, um, don't give up. 
because as believers of all people, we have reason for hope. Uh, He talks about uh, living justly leads to making sacrifices. So all of us in our relationships are going to have to make some sacrifices that fairness and justice are not synonyms. Um, And so to just realize that. Now, he's not talking about sacrifices for evil, but he's talking about those smaller sacrifices that we don't always have to be the ones who are right. But instead, we we should seek to, um, to live at peace with people. What I especially appreciate about uh, this piece is this one line that I think encapsulates so much and how this is applicable to our times. Quote, we find our version of events, enter into the fray, and are unwilling to yield and unable to find solutions. That just seems to really describe much of what we see around us. Next up, we have an article by Erica Anderson, and she's really good at reporting on things. And so she, uh, her article is titled, How Nonprofits Allow Us to Care for the Most Vulnerable, Four Organizations Caring for Immigrants Well During COVID-19. So she talks about how immigrants are some of the most at-risk in our society right now um, during the coronavirus, just because of having enough money to be able to pay for things, access to different health care, whatever it might be. And so the four organizations are the Path Project, Acts Housing, United Against Poverty, and World Relief. And I appreciate that she pointed out these organizations because so often as Christians, we want to help those who are wrestling. Um, we want to help the vulnerable, but it's it can be sometimes sadly out of sight, out of mind, or we don't know how to help. And the good news is there are already organizations doing work on the ground, organizations that have a good infrastructure uh, to be able to support these different communities. So um, if you're interested in this, you can go to this article Look at these different organizations and find out how you can help alleviate the burdens on some of the most vulnerable in your community and even in your backyard. And then finally, uh, we have an an important article by our very own Josh Wester, uh, and he uh, writes about four things Christians can do in divisive political time. And uh, Josh, you point out that we've reached the the 100-day threshold where we're getting close to the November 2020 election, which... It's easy to forget that's even coming up because of everything else that's going on in 2020. Usually the election is front and center. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about this article? Yeah, so this past weekend we crossed, like you mentioned, the 100-day threshold, meaning that you know November's elections are less than 100 days away now. And what that means, if anything, is that the— uh, energy and momentum and uh, drama that it ra- that is wrapped up in the political cycle is only going to intensify uh, over the next days and weeks ahead. And so uh, this article is basically just a brief reflection on how Christians, especially in the polarized and divided time that we live in right now, uh, can keep their Christianity at the center of their political engagement, that they can keep the gospel uh, and keep their biblical principles at the forefront of what they're, you know, what they're doing, thinking, and saying as believers. And what's interesting about uh, this election cycle in particular, you know, I I know from my days as a a political operative that, uh, yes, a hundred days is certainly a milestone, but generally— uh, in a normal political year, most voters do not start paying attention to the November general election until after Labor Day. But that's not the case right now. 
uh, polls are showing consistently that people are more engaged and more attuned, even in this pandemic cycle uh, that we are a part of, uh, they are more attuned uh, to the election, uh, which is really interesting. So I think that means Josh's piece is really well-timed. And I also will use this as a little preview uh, for our listeners. Uh, later this year, we are going to come out with a church toolkit for pastors and church leaders talking about some of those themes of courage and civility and what it looks like to uh, be a Christian in this moment. Uh, that I think will be really helpful for our Southern Baptist churches. And so we are looking forward to uh, launching that a little bit later this summer and giving churches access to it uh, this fall in the run-up to the November election. applies to how to interact uh, during the election season, but it also applies as to how to interact every single day of your life. So as a believer, if you're not seeking to do these things, which I'll read them off, um, then you should probably um, be a little introspective before the Lord, including myself. But uh, the points are keep things in perspective, recognize people's dignity, have some humility and be passionate, but not belligerent. So this is just the call to how we're supposed to live as believers, as salt and light in this world. So thank you, Josh, for writing this article. It's really important and really helpful. And, you know, we have a lot of other things up on our site, a couple podcasts that you'll be able to listen to and find helpful, some extra articles and explainers. Um, but for now, that's what's happening at ERLC.com. Hey, thanks so much, Lindsay. And that takes us to Brent and our culture section for the week. So Brent, tell us what's going on. All right. So leading the news out of the gate uh, in culture this week is a record GDP downturn. As one colleague of ours asked earlier, what does GDP mean? Gross domestic product. It's a leading economic indicator. And you're probably seeing a bunch of news about it. Uh, that one colleague was me. And I think what I asked for was, excuse me, can you give me GDP for dummies? Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, was, I wasn't pointing fingers. There was no names. It was just going to be an anonymous I knew, colleague. I knew it was gross domestic product. I just wanted to know the explanation of the story and how it applies. Thank you very much. Well, that's right. Gotcha. Well, here's the story. The Wall Street Journal reports uh, from the Commerce Department, it said that the U.S. gross domestic product, which is the value of all goods and services produced across the economy, fell at a 32.9% annual rate in the second quarter, or a 9.5% drop compared with the same quarter a year ago. Both figures were the steepest in records dating to 1947, and it was part of a kind of a double whammy because this coincided with an additional 1.4 million Americans applying for unemployment benefits across the country. Basically, what economic analysts are saying for a takeaway is that it appears that our potential economic rebound from this spring when, when lockdowns were commonplace across the country, it may in fact be slowing. Uh, so that is not great news uh, on the economic front. Also on Thursday, President Donald Trump floated via his Twitter account the possibility of delaying the U.S. presidential election this November. Uh, he was questioning whether the date should be pushed back until a time when people can properly, securely, and safely vote. And he, he did this uh, under the auspices of questioning the legitimacy of mail-in voting, which if you participate at all or your state participates all in an absentee voting 
uh, procedure, they actually have uh, the process already in place uh, for, for mail-in voting. As the Wall Street Journal also points out in its article covering this, the date of the election can only be changed by Congress. It was fixed as the first Tuesday after November 1st by an act of Congress way back in 1845 and would require new legislation for it to be delayed. Election Day this year will take place on November 3rd. We also should point out for you constitutional enthusiasts out there in the audience that the Constitution sets the day for Inauguration Day. And so we see that uh, this is probably not something that is going to change. Elsewhere in the world of politics... So Brent, you mentioned that the Constitution sets the dates for Inauguration Day. Is that that would affect when the elections could be held? Well, no, I was tossing that out there in case anyone was doubting when, uh, whether it's uh, President Donald Trump being re-inaugurated for a second term or if potentially his challenger, Joe Biden, were inaugurated uh, as his successor. That was actually set by the 20th Amendment, which was adopted on January 23rd, 1933. And it sets that on noon, on the 20th day of January, that will be when a president is officially inaugurated. So that can't be changed unless we have a new amendment to the Constitution. See, we, get, we all just get a little bit of civics lesson here on the ERLC podcast. All right, so listeners may recall that just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the health of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Well, there's another update. Axios reports that Justice Ginsburg went through a minimally invasive non-surgical procedure to replace a bile duct stent. Justice Ginsburg has had health complications in recent years, including reoccurring liver cancer. This is her second hospital trip this month. The first hospitalization followed a possible infection. I don't know about y'all, but it seems to me that Justice Ginsburg is the bionic woman. I was going to say that I wasn't sure if bionic was the right word because I'm not sure that she's made up of metal. I mean, I wasn't saying she is a literal bionic I know, but woman. you said bionic. She does seem meaning, pretty incredible. Meaning that nothing just, can take her down, Lindsay Nicole, Right, eh? nothing can take her down. <laughs> she's the ever-enduring <sighs> woman. I haven't seen the movie about her. I'd like to watch it. And I, I haven't um, followed a lot of her career because I'm not a Supreme Court nerd like some of my co-hosts. But she's pretty impressive the way that she just perseveres in the midst of trial after trial. It's, it's pretty impressive. That's right. She does persevere. All right. So from Baptist Life, Baptist Press reports that our boss, Dr. Russell Moore, he and 20 other pro-life leaders have called for the federal government to withdraw an abortion drug from the market because of its threat to women as well as that of preborn children. On Tuesday, July 28th of, of this week, the pro-life advocates urged the Food and Drug Administration to categorize a drug under the brand name Mifeprex as a, quote, imminent hazard to the public health. Well, and just so listeners are aware, uh, we have an article up, an explainer about this. And then if you're subscribed to the weekly, that will come to your inbox as well. So if if you don't quite understand what it is that's going on or want to know more about it, you can just go to ERLC.com and there you'll learn more. That's right. And we definitely would encourage our listeners to sign up for the weekly. Also in Baptist Life, leading SBC bioethicist Ben Mitchell announced he will be retiring from his main duties at Union University. 
Dr. Mitchell, who has served as the Graves Professor of Moral Philosophy at Union since 2009, has announced his retirement effective Friday, July 31st. Uh, Although he is retiring from full-time appointment, Dr. Mitchell is not retiring from his vocation and calling as he will continue to write and teach courses at Union, Midwestern Seminary, and TEDS. Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and continue serving the denomination in a variety of ways, which I was really happy to read that because uh, Dr. Mitchell, man, to use a, a term from Joshua Wester, he's a goat. That's right, Brent. Josh, what's a what's a goat? Can you tell our listeners what a goat is? He's He's the greatest of all time. There you go. And sincerely, Brent, like Dr. Mitchell is someone who, look, you, you know how there's this phrase, never meet your heroes. You, you, you hear that a lot of times there are people that you revere, or look up to, or respect for various reasons. But then when you see their lives up close, you know, things don't always match up. Dr. Mitchell, in, in all of my interactions with him, has been someone that I found to be exceedingly kind, just a, an incredibly, a man full of integrity whose life uh, matches the, the things that he writes and speaks about. And so, uh, you know, while it's sad to see him actually retire here, even though it's something that is certainly well-deserved, uh, it's also really encouraging to know he's not nearly finished uh, with what uh, with, with living out uh, and exercising the giftings that the Lord has blessed him with. So staying in Baptist life, but moving a little bit over to uh, coronavirus, Warrior Creek Baptist Church in Strawberry, Alabama, is the center of a coronavirus outbreak. More than 40 members of the congregation, including Pastor Daryl Ross, contracted the virus after the church's annual revival uh, during the week of, of July 19th. And so uh, Baptist Press reports that um, they held the revival inside the church. They uh, tried to adhere to social distancing practices, um, but unfortunately, it sounds like multiple members of this congregation have come down, and some with very serious cases of COVID-19. Another site of an outbreak this week was the professional baseball team, the Miami Marlins. At least 13 players and coaches with the Marlins have tested positive for coronavirus since Friday, according to ESPN's reporter Jeff Passan. The Marlins' season has been temporarily suspended while the members of the team recover. That said, as as we discussed last week with Major League Baseball uh, starting up, how long until this happens with other teams? And what will Major League Baseball do if multiple teams are facing this at the exact same time. So the Marlins season has been suspended for for three or four games. It's through Sunday. Uh, But if you've got multiple teams that are facing this, it's going to wreak havoc on a schedule as you try and make up these games later in this shortened season. One person said on Twitter, uh, the way to decide who wins the World Series is the last team without any coronavirus cases. And that's automatically who wins. That is one way. It's an interesting social (laughs) experiment for sure. (laughs) You don't sound very enthused about that way, Brett. Well, only because because it means my Braves, who have already had a couple of cases, are uh, are not going to make it. Yeah, not in the running. But, uh, I mean, it's an an interesting dichotomy, what, what is presenting itself between Major League Baseball and the NBA. The NBA teams and rosters are obviously a lot smaller, but they are all being what's called bubbled at the uh, Walt Disney World of Sports down in Orlando versus all the Major League Baseball teams are trying to play in their home stadiums and travel. 
sorry Toronto Blue Jays who are being forced to play in Buffalo, New York. All right, from the world of entertainment, we've lost a, a major figure this week with the passing of Regis Philbin. He's a prominent figure from his years as a host of Live with Regis and Kathy Lee and then Live later with Regis and Kelly. And he was also the host of the original version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Regis Philbin passed away this week. And here's an interesting cultural development that I know that you're going to want to comment on, Lindsay, because you're not going to be able to buy rompers on Turkey Day. Both Walmart and Target have indicated that they will be closed this Thanksgiving. What do you think about that? I think Best Buy, too. One of our coworkers posted that. You know what, Brent? I am firmly anti-Black Friday shopping just because I would rather pay $200 extra for something than get up early and fight the crazy crowds and the crazy people and shop all day like that. So, yeah, we yeah, see, I, I just don't I can like tell Black you, Friday shopping. I can tell you already you're doing it wrong because you said get up early. <laughs> no, no, no. The point is to stay up late. No. Okay. I would rather go to bed and not stay up late. I love to sleep. All right. Finally, this is just too weird not to discuss. So uh, one of our colleagues got a message from the uh, agricultural department in Tennessee saying, do not open any strange packages from China. Why? Because they contain a packet of mysterious seeds. And so when this popped up in our own chats uh, around the organization, I was certainly perplexed, but apparently this is happening across the country. So the case of the mystery seeds showing up in U.S. mailboxes from shippers in China and other countries has now gone global. The U.S. Department of Agriculture said consumers in at least 22 U.S. states and several other countries have received unsolicited packages of seeds, and they are investigating the, the matter. The seeds analyzed by the USDA so far have been identified as both horticultural and weed seeds. I just don't have a lot to elaborate on, you know, mystery seeds showing up from China. But I can't, I mean, I can tell you, you know, like, it wouldn't surprise me if the Chinese Communist Party was, you know, somehow trying to, in further ways, corrupt the United States through, you know, horticulture. Well, so we should say the USDA reiterated it has no evidence that the packages are something other than what is called a brushing scam. I had no idea what that was. But the Wall Street Journal helpfully told us. It says in such scams, e-commerce vendors on online retailers like Amazon pay brushers, what, what are known as brushers, to place orders for vendors' products and packages with low value or no contents, such as seeds, are shipped to strangers. Brushers then pose as the buyers and post fake customer reviews to boost the vendor's sales. All right, so Lindsay and Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture.
Well, we are really excited today to have a chance to talk to our ERLC interns. Uh, the four interns we're going to have on the podcast today are those who were serving with us in our Nashville office. Although because of the remote and online format, uh, all of our interns worked closely together and there was not the normal differentiation between the Nashville interns and the DC interns, but uh, it was a really, really good group. And we're excited for you to hear from them today, just a little bit about their experience, but so that we can, you know, get started and just introduce them. I'm going to have them actually introduce themselves. Uh, we'll start with Lily Huff. Lily, uh, could you tell us your name and hometown? Give us your, you know, the school that you're attending and what you're studying and what you hope to do or what your plans are after school. And then I'm going to let uh, Gracie and Carson and Isaac also, you know, just follow you and answer those questions. Well, hi, I'm Lily Huff and I'm from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And my, I go to Oklahoma Baptist University. I'm studying journalism and mass communication with a minor in English. And the dream would be to freelance journalism, um, focusing around environmental issues and also adoption and immigration would be really cool. That's perfect. Thanks so much. Gracie? Hi, I'm Gracie. Um, I'm from Canton, Georgia. I'm currently studying philosophy and math at um, Stanford University in Birmingham. Not really sure what I want to do at the moment. I'm still figuring that out. Got it. Carson? So I'm Carson Nicola. I'm from Jackson, Tennessee, and I attend uh, Texas Christian University, where I study history and geography. And to be quite blunt, I have no earthly idea what I want to do, but hopefully we'll figure that out soon. <laughs> totally. That's the understand. same for all of us, man. That's right. And finally, uh, Isaac. Hey, I'm Isaac Whitney. Uh, I am from Sarasota, Florida. I graduated from Brown University with a degree in economics and just started working towards an MDiv at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and will soon be working at a church in Westchester, Pennsylvania as a pastoral intern. Well, we're so glad that y'all um, were willing to join us this year, especially virtually, as is kind of unprecedented for us. But you've definitely set the standard high. And we want to ask you just a couple questions about your experience at the ERLC. So this first question, Lily, we'll hear from you first, and then Carson. Why were y'all interested in the ERLC internship? I became interested in the internship when someone from the ERLC and came and spoke at my school. and. If, as he was speaking, I was like, you know what? I really need an internship. And then he followed up right at the end. He just slid it in. He was like, hey, guys, we have an internship. And I said, there it is. That's what I'm going to do. So after that, the rest is history, and it's been a great experience. Yeah, for me, similarly, I didn't know a whole lot about the ERLC coming in, but I had someone speak to me, uh, just kind of a mentor uh, throughout high school, mention it and the fact that they had internships. And so I did my homework, did some research, and was just really drawn to the fact um, of how they spoke to uh, human dignity issues. Uh, I feel like I'm really passionate about that, to be honest, as kind of moved throughout the process um, with coronavirus. Uh, I needed something to do for the summer, so I uh, jumped at the opportunity, and I'm thankful for that. That's great, Carson. All right, so Gracie and Isaac, what were your expectations coming into our program? Um, so I wasn't 100% sure what to expect um, initially coming into the program. I had applied because I knew, didn't know a ton about what uh, the ERLC did, and um, I was curious to see what uh, more of like a liberal arts education looks like applied. And um, I've also always been really interested in seeing um, like what uh, Christian ethics and 
looks like in the public square. So that's been great to learn about. Yeah, and then for myself, uh, to be honest, I really had, did not know what to expect. Um, it was really the pandemic that kind of brought me into this internship. So uh, with all the confusion and chaos going on, uh, I thought that, you know, maybe I'd be doing a few minute projects here and there. So I was definitely pleasantly surprised just to see how much the staff really invested in us interns and how many projects that are really beneficial to the uh, organization as a whole we got to work on. That's really good. So this next question, Carson, I'll start with you, but if anybody else wants to chime in uh, and answer it, that'd be great. So just curious, like what did you learn uh, about the URLC as you were working with us uh, this summer, whether it's about our work or the politics that we're engaged in or just the culture or the SBC, like what, what did you learn just about the organization as you were kind of like in the mix this summer? Yeah, for sure. So, um, my position, for, uh, fortunately, I've been gotten the opportunity to learn not only about the ERLC in present context, but also just study and research a little bit of the history of the organization and past entities that uh, represented it in the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, I really enjoyed that. But what I've noticed most is um, how the previous versions of the ERLC always attacked the issues. And even though those issues and opinions may have changed, the motives haven't. And uh, I've just really appreciated uh, how I've learned about how even in a tribal world today that uh, the ERLC is committed to, you know, attacking these issues in the public square from just uh, the gospel of Christ uh, at the center of their motives. And I've just really appreciated that. Isaac, I know you helped um, on that same project. So I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are about that or, or, or anything else. Yeah, Carson and I did some work together researching and uh, writing on some of the history of the ERLC. And like what he touched on, I was uh, really impressed and uh, appreciative of you know, some of the ways that uh, the ERLC in the past has really made an emphasis on speaking to the conscience of Southern Baptists and you know, just trying to put the gospel first in every situation, not make an idol out of politics, even when that's difficult. Uh, certainly, you know, we haven't been, gotten it right on every issue, but, you know, trying to put Jesus first has really been an emphasis, and I really love getting to see that. It sounds like y'all have learned some great stuff about the ERLC this summer, even virtually, which is so encouraging. So, Gracie, um, I want to ask you this question, and then anyone else who wants to answer, what was one of your favorite experiences this semester? I um, really loved the uh, ethics discussions that we had I've never quite had an experience like that where we would listen to uh, Dr. Moore's lectures on some topics, discuss it, and we were given freedom to disagree. It's really, really wonderful to see like the ways that people learn from each other and tried to hash out these ideas. And anyway, that was definitely my favorite. Uh, Isaac, let's uh, let's start this one with you and any anyone else who wants to chime in, please do so. What does the program's professional development look like? Well, um, to start, you know, we once a week we'd walk through uh, a book called "What's Best Next," and what we do with that is just sort of uh, get training and insight on ways to structure our time and complete projects in such a way that not only brings glory to God, but also to uh, serve our neighbors, whoever we're working with. And I really appreciated that insight on 
on work and career life as not something that's for ourselves, but is for God and for others. Yeah, kind of the, to hop on uh, Isaac's train, uh, the professional development at the ERC, I think has been a huge part of the internship. Um, I'm just so thankful for the fact that there's so many great people here that have just been willing to pour into us and just uh, help us grow as we kind of pursue uh, careers and educations uh, in higher ed. Uh, but just to speak from a little bit of personal experience, I was super intimidated at the beginning of this whole uh, internship being, uh, as I learned quickly, the baby of the interns. Um, but as I've gone um, throughout the past couple months, uh, I've just really appreciated how both the interns and the workers here at the LC have just kind of poured into me and uh, taught me how to network. And I feel much more confident um, now just going into the the public world and uh, doing, you know, adult things now, I guess. It really grew me up. What kids these days call adulting. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right, Lindsay. That's that's great uh, well, because hey, it that comes was... it comes it comes from the baby of the intern class to the the senior citizen of the podcast, Lindsay Nicolay. Oh, you wow. are the senior citizen, Brent, not me. Oh, am I am I older than you? Those are, oh, oh okay. yes, you are. Oh, okay, I wasn't sure. Man, you guys are throwing down right now. Uh, well, to uh, be the young disciplinarian, uh, to keep us on track, Lily, uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, we just talked about some of the professional development. What did the spiritual development uh, or those aspects of the internship look like? So we had a Bible study every Monday and we walked through Matthew and then also the ethics training pertained to not just political issues, but obviously um, faith issues in the political sphere. And as we ran through Matthew, because it's 28 chapters and we had eight weeks, uh, it was really awesome to be able to hear from other interns what they were, what God was showing them, and also have Josh challenge us. He constantly challenged me, and in good ways, it was great. And then also the ethics training to be able to address not just um, faith, faith issues, but how they really do affect political, uh, the political atmosphere. Yes, I uh, just want to add to that. Um, the whole focus of both the, both our Bible studies and our ethics sessions was with the um, concept of the kingdom of God, and not just like as an abstract, like something to come, but as a concrete reality and how it ought to um, impact what we do every day. Um, I thought that was, that was one of my favorite parts of um, the spiritual development. I just have to say, Gracie, that just warms my heart uh, to hear that. We spent so much time talking about Matthew and the kingdom of God. So you and Lily just offering those reflections. Uh, that's awesome because I really enjoyed that time together. Yeah. And just hearing y'all talk, uh, it sounds like y'all are ready to take over our jobs already. So I guess we should be nervous oh. about how <laughs> what the internship has done to prepare y'all for the future. Um, so Isaac, I want to throw this question out to you and then anyone else can jump in. Y'all have already mentioned the ethics seminars. So can you tell us what a particularly memorable meeting or town hall or ethics seminar was to you? Well, if I can, I'd like to offer two, starting with Brent's town hall, because he was absolutely rocking the aviator sunglasses that day. Um, the Did he pay you to our... say that? He paid you oh, to say uh, that. Actually, 
I'm, I'm so glad <laughs> well, actually, that, that came out. The intern, no, the interns had our own uh, group chat talking about how much drip he had that day. So absolutely no, no bribery on that part. Um, but yeah, then I would like to also add on a more serious note, I really appreciated uh, Justin Gibney's time with us. Um, I know the ERLC and myself personally would not necessarily align uh, point by point on every uh, with every stance that he and his and campaign uh, take, but I really appreciated just the uh, amount of courage and intellectual honesty that he takes in uh, not uh, making an idol out of politics, but uh, everything that he does in, in the public world is first and foremost driven by uh, sound biblical theology. Yeah, I'm just going to hop in and say Stephen Harris's, he's brilliant. He just kept pulling out books all the time. I'm an English minor, so every time he pulled out a book and was just like, yeah, I've read this. I read 190 books a year. I was literally awestruck by how smart he was and, like, just, ever, like, goes to Yale and Harvard. Brilliant. Absolutely. So cool to hear. And then also hearing just people from the ERLC who are like, hey, this is this is who we are and being vulnerable and also giving us really honest feedback and what it's like to work in their jobs was really awesome because it wasn't like people were just faking it like oh yeah everything's perfect all the time they're like no this is real life so that was really cool and really awesome to see in town halls okay isaac i i, I gotta admit i would have chimed in uh when you were talking uh about my my greatness but i was i was i was making sure that i uh captured it accurately for my twitter bio uh because that's i'm that's gonna be added to it oh man i didn't i didn't mean to uh feed the ego there but uh i guess you're gonna run with it <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, but I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I'm glad you gave this shout out to Stephen Harris because, man, you want to talk about somebody that's intellectually intimidating? It's our man, Stephen Harris, no doubt about that. And in, in addition to Stephen Harris's brilliance, uh, what are y'all going to take with you from this internship? I think for me personally, more than anything, um, I'm just going to take oh, a sense of confidence uh, going back to college uh, and friend groups and things like that. I think a lot of the times before this internship, I really felt backed into a corner as a Christian, just on a lot of public issues and how to feel. I was I felt caught in the middle and in a lot of tension that I didn't want to be a part of. But uh, now just getting to hear from a lot of different perspectives and um, just theologies and uh, just continual conversations over the past two months, I feel really confident about how I should attack the public square and how I can do that with the gospel focus. For me personally, I would say that I was really challenged uh, in the way that the gospel really tends to hold things in tension, no matter, you know, what, you know, culture or society you're in. Um, in some aspect of the gospel is really going to push back on a lot of those norms. And it's going to take a lot of courage to make those stands. And uh, I've been really uh, emboldened by my time here at the ERLC to do just that, I'd say. Before we let you go, I want to ask you one more question. And I'd like all of you, if you can, to chime in at least briefly, uh, just answering the question, why should someone apply? You know, if there's a college student out there uh, who is looking for a summer internship to do, uh, why would you recommend that they apply for the ERLC internship? 
Well, I can start off. Um, this internship is not just a you're doing your job and you're learning how to function in a work environment. You're also going to get the emotional support. You're going to get spiritual support, and it's a holistic internship. You're not by yourself. You're with other people. You're surrounded by. Um, if you're a believer, you're surrounded by other believers who are strengthening you, and they're not just concerned about okay, are you doing your work? They're like, hey, how are you doing? holy as a person and it definitely the internship surprised me with that with how holistic it was it was so encouraging the whole summer even when projects were coming to their deadline and it was go time it was still focused on hey this is not just about right now this is like we said this is kingdom of god mindset because we're not just doing this to work we're doing this for him and for his purpose which is great everyone should apply at least yeah, kind of to jump off that, I um, I have learned so much from just ethics, how to approach that uh, from professional development. Uh, but quite simply, if someone were to ask me why they should apply, it's the people that are at the RLC. Um, I think the intentionality uh, and the gospel fellowship that they have pursued us with over the past two months has just been so encouraging. And it's so worthwhile for anyone that uh, is even remotely interested that should definitely consider it. I'll close by saying that uh, your time at the ERLC will give you experience in a highly professional environment without sacrificing any kind of ministry or personal discipleship. Uh, you know, I really appreciated the way uh, people like Josh and other people on staff just have such a pastoral mindset. Um, it's about the soul before anything else. And I really appreciate the way that ERLC has a church first mindset um, in everything that it does. Man, that was so good. Uh, thank you guys for, you know, those reflections on the internship and just for putting in the word for others who might be interested. Uh, we have a fantastic time with our interns every summer, and you guys were a particularly excellent group, and we have really enjoyed getting to know you and investing in you, and we are really excited about seeing what God is going to do with you in the future. Definitely appreciate y'all's reflections today. Okay, so now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things we've been talking about with one another. Lindsay, you're up first this week, so tell us what's on your mind. I think I need to say first, listeners, no, it's not raining outside your window. That's just Josh and his wife driving through a torrential downpour. We so need to add are... a weather segment. We need to add a <laughs> yes, weather segment we to the podcast. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> that would be awesome. But so for my lunchroom, I wasn't quite sure what to share, but then it hit me. Last night, I made a new recipe and my husband couldn't stop talking about it. You know that he likes things when I thought it was really good too, by the way, but he goes back for seconds, but then he also keeps talking about it and is like, mm, mm, this is good. And he uh, said, this is the best night of eating ever. So it's a one pot meal, which is very nice because you don't have to use a lot of dishes. It's a baked ziti with mushrooms and spinach. And of course you can make changes, but you don't even have to boil the, um, the noodles first. So you do it in a skillet or in a, um, a, a cast iron skillet or in a Dutch oven, and then you put it into the oven. So anyway, y'all should really try that because it was really good. And then I also wanted to mention that our friend, John Powell, that we talked about last week and that you've probably seen online, how he gave his life to save some other people's lives and um, leaves behind 
a wife and four children and the rest of his family. It's just so tragic and sad. It's been amazing to see how this story has reached so many people. So his story actually ended up on people.com, picked up on it and also linked to the GoFundMe to support his family. So the Lord through John's death is using this to, um, to share the gospel and to expose to the gospel who might not have been exposed to it. So it's pretty amazing uh, and just incredible what the Lord will do just with a faithful life. Lindsay, one of the things that I was really encouraged by was just further updates of how the Lord is working through um, this this tragedy uh, in, in John losing his life. But one of our other colleagues was saying, you know, are there even other kind of media possibilities with this that we're just not even thinking about yet, uh, how the story is is filtering out there? And um, I mean, I just immediately thought if if the Lord works in maybe some ways that it, it seems like he could be like, this is ripe for almost like a movie uh, to tell John's story and to show how he had such a sacrificial heart uh, up through the the very moment that his life ended and, and how uh, maybe even that is going to be used uh, for the gospel uh, to to be be spread and, and shared. And I'm just grateful that, uh, you know, a totally secular outlet like people uh, has picked up this story. Uh, mine is is a little bit more lighthearted, uh, but it has to do with uh, Regis Philbin, who passed away this week. So as I mentioned before, he was the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And there was uh, this clip that went viral this week uh, that probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with, but it was from when he was hosting the show and he was asking uh, one of the uh, contestants uh, a final question to get to the million dollars. And if folks remember, you can choose a lifeline, like call somebody if you're kind of stuck on an answer. And so he had uh, Regis call up his, his father the contestant's father, for help on this one question. And he got him on there and he said, Dad, I don't actually need your help. I just wanted to call and tell you that I'm going to answer this and I'm going to win a million dollars. And he proceeded to do that immediately. And the audience lost it because it was just amazing. It was certainly a great bit of unscripted reality show TV. Uh, And uh, I hope uh, that you, uh, if you haven't seen it, we'll link uh, to it in the show notes because it's it's a, it was a really fun moment. Well, I'll have to check out that segment, Brent. And uh, turns out our lunchroom segment is going to be cut short because Josh, who was on a road trip, uh, somehow road tripped his way out of cell service. So we don't get to hear what his lunchroom segment is. So just stay tuned next week and maybe you'll get a twofer. So he'll share his last week is this week's and then the next week's. (laughs) Well, I mean, we should point out that in his notes, he does have the Gospel of Matthew. And so, I mean, I would definitely encourage people to read Matthew. Uh, It's, you know, a great part of the Bible. We would encourage you to read the Gospel of Matthew. And I think he's he's talking about it in the context of the interim Bible study, but we'll just have to join back next week to hear more about that and also to make sure Josh is okay and made it to Tennessee in one piece and make sure that he does have cell service and internet service. So um, that's going to be it this week for the ERLC podcast on behalf of 
of myself and Josh and Brent. We want to thank you for listening. And just a reminder that you can find links to all of the things we talked about today in the show notes. And also, if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into a podcast app and leaving us a rating and a review. Again, thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back next week with more content.